Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints, this is David, and in this lesson, I will continue the verse-by-verse explanation of Matthew 24 and cover verses 11 through 14. Please put aside any preconceived notions about what pastors have told you, and just look at what Scripture is proclaiming. The enemy has caused people to assign the Olivet Discourse's fulfillment to the end times so that they don't understand the truth about what happened in the first century. With that said, many people assume that because I teach how the Olivet Discourse points to the desolation of Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation in 70 AD, then I must be a preterist. It is true that many of the people who teach the historical fulfillment of the 70th week of Daniel 9 and the Olivet Discourse are preterists, thus the association that people make. But a preterist believes that all of Revelation was symbolically fulfilled in the first few centuries, and that Messiah returned then. I do not believe that. I prove out how the prophecies in Revelation have been in the process of being fulfilled since the first century, and that there's more to be fulfilled before Messiah returns. And explain all of that out in my Revelation timeline decoded video series and audio series on my websites and my books. And you can get access to all that information at revelationtimelinedecoded.com. Some people label me as a partial preterist, but that's a misnomer, as I have no part in proclaiming the preterist view of the fulfillment of Revelation. I am a historicist who proves out how the prophecies in the 7th week of Daniel 9, Daniel 12, and the Olivet Discourse were historically fulfilled in the first century. So let's pick up where we left off in the explanation of the Olivet Discourse. Please listen to my previous videos in the series to get the proper context. Matthew 24:11 says, And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Messiah knew that some would try to deter the early church with false teachings, which we will see fulfilled in the following verses. The term false prophet in Greek is pseudoprophetes, which means a spurious prophet, a pretended foreteller, or religious imposter, a false prophet, a false priest. Keep that one in mind, right? It's pointing to a false priest who pretends to follow Messiah, but misleads people with a false gospel. Simon Magus, the magician met the criteria of a false prophet, as he deceived people with his sorcery, and then went on to feign to be an apostle of Messiah. Acts 8, 9-10 says, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Simon was steeped in the Babylonian mystery religion of pagan god worship. When he saw the Spirit being poured out on the believing saints, he tried to buy the power to be able to do that himself. But he was rebuked by Peter and told that he had a spirit of bitterness and a bond of iniquity. In anger, he went to Rome to feign being an apostle of Messiah, but he combined the worship of pagan gods with the scriptural faith. 
Simon Magus was effectively the first Roman bishop, Pope, as it was not Peter the Apostle. It appears that Simon Magus fulfilled the prophecy in 2 Thessalonians 2 about the mystery of iniquity, which says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And he is the Roman emperor of the Western Roman Empire. I teach all that in my Revelation Timeline Decoded series. But the key point here is that Paul says that at the timing of the writing of Second Thessalonians, that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Acts 13.6 describes a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And when they had gone through the isle unto Pathos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Acts 20, 29-30 says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Second Thessalonians 11.13 points to false apostles. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Galatians 2.4 refers to false brethren who sought to deceive the believers. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. 2 Timothy 2.16-17 points to false teachers. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat at the other canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Second Peter 2, 1-2 describes false prophet in the church. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Jewish historian Josephus says, These prevailed with the multitude to act like madmen, and went before them into the wilderness, pretending that God would there show them the signals of liberty. Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers, and such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident, and did so plainly foretell their future desolation. But like men infatuated, without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. But there was an Egyptian false prophet that did the Jews a great deal of mischief, and pretended to be a prophet also and got together 30,000 men, and led them into the wilderness. Matthew twenty four twelve says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Messiah describes seven church errors, and the first one is that of Ephesus. In Revelation 2, 4, Messiah proclaimed this to the Ephesus church era, which existed in the first century. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Perfect match with Matthew twenty four twelve. Many lost their love and zeal due to persecution, and maybe even disillusionment, because Messiah had not returned for them. Albert Barnes notes on the Bible from 1832 says, The word iniquity here seems to include the cruelty of the Jews and Romans in their persecutions, the betraying of Christians by those who profess to be such, and the pernicious errors of false prophets and others. 
The effect of all this would be that the ardor, a feeling of many Christians, would be lessened. The word wax means to become. It is an old Saxon word, not used now in the sense, except in the Bible. The fear of death and the deluding influence of false teachers would lessen the zeal of many timid and weak professors, perhaps also of many real but feeble Christians. Matthew twenty four thirteen says, But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. People assign the word end to the last prophecy being fulfilled in the Bible and Messiah returning. But the context of the Olivet Discourse is the end of the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 AD, in which the Jewish leaders, the city, and the temple were desolated. Recall that the Olivet Discourse is connected to the prophecies of Daniel, that judgment would come upon the unbelieving Jewish nation. So the end is pointing to the end of the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 AD. Daniel 9.26 says, And the people, who are the Jews, of the prince that shall come, which is Messiah, who came in the seventh week, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So, the people of the prince caused the desolation of the city and the temple because they continued in their rebellion against the Heavenly Father and because they delivered their promised Messiah up to be killed. So, it's their punishment. So, they caused it. In 70 AD, the Roman army flooded into Jerusalem to seize control, and the war ended shortly afterwards. So, we see a direct match to the declaration in Daniel 9.26 and the fulfillment in 70 AD. Daniel 12.8-9 says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So again, and we'll, we'll see this in future studies about the abomination of desolation and fleeing Judea to the mountains for safety. But again, we see a reference to the end. What are the end of these things? So in Messiah's Olivet Discourse, he points to the word end four times. And here in Daniel 12, it's pointing to the end twice in this verse. What's the end of these things? Daniel wants to know. Daniel understands that the Jewish nation is going to be desolated. He understands the temple and the city, which were just rebuilt in the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy, are going to be desolated. And he wants more information. He wants to know what is the end of these things? How is this going to play out? So that's the message of Daniel 12. And, and I'll get to this, like I said, in a future study in the series. But we just got to match up the two words, the end. The end is not the end of the world. It's not the end before Messiah returns. It's the end of the judgment of the Jewish nation. Messiah is saying that the believers who heed his signs and endure until the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, the temple and the Jewish nation, will be saved from the time of great tribulation that comes upon the unbelieving Jews. The saints heeded Messiah's warning that when they saw the Roman army surround Jerusalem, they took the opportunity to flee to the mountains of Pella in the Decapolis beyond the Jordan for protection during the war. They stayed there until the end of the Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 AD. So we see a three and a half year period. In Daniel 12, it's pointing to 1290 and 1335 days, a three and a half year period. So we see a direct match. We see that all the saints would be saved because they followed Messiah's instructions to flee Judea, flee Jerusalem, go to the mountains, stay there until the war is over. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Now, this is one of the key verses that people cite to proclaim that the prophecies in the Olivet Discourse 
have not been fulfilled. And I understand that perspective because it seems like the gospel has not been proclaimed to every country until the end times. But we have to use the Bible's definitions and declarations. In the Strong's Greek Dictionary, the word world is okomin, which means land, the terrene part of the globe, especially the Roman Empire. So it isn't the Greek cosmos, which is the word which points to the whole earth. It's a different word, and it's pointing to the land of the Roman Empire. So let's prove that out. Luke 2, one says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Was the whole world taxed? No. It was the Roman Empire which was taxed. Acts 11.28 says, And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Did the famine affect the whole world? No, the Roman Empire. Acts 17.6 says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Did they turn the whole world upside down? No, the Roman Empire. Acts 19.27 says, So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Did the whole world worship Diana? No. Did the Roman Empire worship Diana? Yes. Acts 24.5 says, For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. One more time. I'm not trying to be annoying, but look at what the scripture is saying. Did that happen? Was he a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the whole world? No. Right? So it's just talking about the land around them. He's saying throughout the world means the land of the Roman Empire. He's deceiving the Jews. So from the witness of scripture, we see that the world of the New Testament writers is the land of the Roman Empire. Significantly, this is the only place Matthew uses this word. He has selected it carefully as a geographic delimitation, as the Gospels had to be preached to the Roman Empire as a whole before Judea's desolation. Messiah himself confirmed after his resurrection, when his disciples brought up the same question concerning the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, he turned their minds from that subject and said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am always with you, even until the end of the world. Amen. So he's telling this to his disciples to go to all nations, to teach all nations. So we see the context. Then in Acts 1.8, he says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the utmost part of the earth. He's telling them that they would receive the Spirit and be witnesses to the Jews, and unto all nations of the Roman Empire. Josephus identifies the known Roman Empire as the whole world. Romans invincible in all parts of the inhabited earth. Nay, they even search for another inhabited earth beyond the sea, as far as the British Isles, as were never known before. What wonder is it, their empire, Euphrates on the east, the ocean on the west, the most fertile lands of Libya in the south, and the Danube and Rhine in the north are the limits. 
During Pentecost, Jews who were out of every nation were saved, it says. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So they traveled to Jerusalem to observe the feast days. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So we see all those places that these Jews had traveled from, and these visiting Jews would have returned to their homeland and spread the good news that Messiah came to confirm the everlasting covenant as the spotless lamb to atone for our sins. So the gospel would have spread quickly around the Roman Empire. So let's look at scriptural references that show the spread of the gospel before 70 AD. Romans 1.8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, for your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Romans 10.15-18 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah say, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have ye not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went unto all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. Romans 15:19 says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about until Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Romans 16:25 to 26 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Colossians 1, 4-6 says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth. Colossians one twenty three says, If we continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So when we look at the history of the church, about Eusebius and different people who documented the history of the early church, we see the different stories of the disciples. Peter undertook a missionary journey to Lydda, Joppa, and Caesarea. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters in what was before the Soviet Union. Believers claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and in Greece. Doubting Thomas was most active in the area east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far as Parthia and India, where the most ancient Marthoma believers revere him as their founder. Philip preached in many villages of Samaria and the cities of Caesarea. He had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and then in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. Matthew, the tax collector and writer of a gospel, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Bartholomew had extensive missionary travels attributed to him to India with Thomas. 
back to Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and southern Arabia. James, the son of Alphaeus, is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. Simon the Zealot ministered in Persia, surnamed Zealots, they preached the gospel in Mauritania, Africa, and even in Britain. Matthias was an apostle chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria. John was the church leader in the Ephesus area, in the churches of Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira were founded by him. Luke, the evangelist, the author of the gospel, traveled with Paul through various countries. Dr. Thomas Newton, in Dissertations on the Prophecies from 1754, says, A third reflection we may make on the sudden and amazing progress of the gospel, that it should spread so far and so wide before the destruction of Jerusalem. But the Christian religion was diffused over the face of the earth in the space of forty years, and prevailed, not only without the sword, but against the sword, not only without the powers civil and military to support it, but against them all united to oppress it. Tacitus informs us, as early as the reign of Nero, that Christians were grown so numerous at Rome as to excite the jealousy of the government, and in the other parts they were in proportion. However, we are under no necessity to restrain the phrase to the Roman Empire, as previously to the destruction of Jerusalem. The gospel was not only preached in the Lesser Asia and Greece and Italy, the greatest theaters of action then in the world, but was likewise propagated as far north as Scythia, as far south as Ethiopia, as far east as Parthia and India, and as far west as Spain and Britain. Agreeable to this, Eusebius informs us that the apostles preached the gospel in all the world, and some of them it passed beyond the ocean of the Britannic Isle. So we can see in the Greek that Matthew 24:14 is pointing to the Roman Empire, not the whole world. We can see examples of scripture declaring the world of the Roman Empire. And we can see that scriptures, which were written before 70 AD, declare that the gospel was spread around the world, around the Roman Empire. So we can see that the prophecies in Matthew 24, 11 to 14, were fulfilled before the Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 AD. And the desolation of Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation, which is the proper context of the Olivet Discourse. Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded Audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book or order a printed copy at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.